0: If you're here tonight and you've never been saved, I just wonder if there's anybody that'd just like to stand up and come down and get saved right now. Anybody? Anybody? You'll enjoy this sermon better if you're saved. (laughs) All right. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Luke chapter 4. Thank you again, Pastor, for inviting me to come, and and thank you for those sweet words of introduction. I wish my wife would have been here to hear that. (laughs) One lady said, Brother Bob, you get more out of the Bible that's not there than any preacher I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) Well, I hope what I share tonight is going to be biblical. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. If you have found it, say amen. Amen. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bare him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, "Is, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, You were surely saying to me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, uh, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah When the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land, but unto none of them was Elijah sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. And none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian." And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and led him unto the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. I live in northwest Alabama in a town called Muscle Shoals. People who are not familiar with Alabama, when they hear Muscle Shoals, they assume that I live down on the Gulf Coast, but I live as far away from the Gulf Coast as you can be and still be in Alabama. Not too far to the west of where I live in Muscle Shoals, there's a town called Hattiesburg, Alabama. When you drive into the city limits of Hattiesburg, there's a sign that says, Welcome to Hattiesburg, Alabama, the hometown of Sonny James. Now, you may not remember who Sonny James was, but back in the 50s and the 60s, he was probably the number one singer in the field of country and western music. He had 26 number one hits. He was called the Southern Gentleman. I suppose his most famous song was Young Love. Now, you teenagers have never heard that, but if you'll call your grandmother tonight, she can sing every word of it to you, I promise. (laughs) Young Love, First Love. A lot of your grandparents courted to that, I promise you. (laughs) Not too far to the east of where I live, there's a town called Addison, Alabama, And if you drive into Addison, Alabama, you'll see a sign that says, Welcome to Addison, Alabama, the hometown of Pat Buttram. Now, you may not know who Pat Buttram was, but he was the country comic sidekick to Gene Autry and all of those Gene Autry westerns. He also played the part of Mr. Haney in the television program, Green Acres. That's who Pat Buttram was. If you were to drive into the city limits of Tupelo, Mississippi tonight, you'd see a sign that said, "Welcome to Tupelo, Mississippi, the hometown of Elvis Presley." Now you may not have known who Sonny James was, and you may not have known who Pat Butram was, but if you don't know who Elvis Presley was, you ain't nothing but a hound dog. That's all I can tell you. A lot of hometowns have their hometown heroes. Well, the Bible says Jesus went to Nazareth. That was the place where he had been brought up. That's what the Word says. Jesus only lived 33 years before he was crucified. 30 of those 33 years he lived in Nazareth. 30 of his 33 years... He lived in Nazareth. He grew up there. He went to school there. He participated in family life there. He he lived in the house with his mother Mary and his adopted father Joseph. But he also had some half-brothers and half-sisters younger than him. The Bible says that after Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, that Mary and Joseph had a normal husband-wife relationship and had children born, that Jesus had at least four half-brothers that are mentioned by name in the Bible. James, who wrote the book of James, is the half-brother of Jesus, and Jude, who wrote the book of Jude, is the half-brother of Jesus, and and he also had at least two sisters, half-sisters. He may have had more. Their names are not recorded. They're just referred to in the plural as sisters, so Jesus knew what it was to participate in family life. He also participated in community life. He was not a hermit. He didn't stay in the house. He he went to school. He went to the marketplace. He went to the public events. Jesus was well known, highly thought of in that town of Nazareth. He also participated in the business world. His adopted father Joseph was a master carpenter and, and Jesus grew up in that trade and Jesus became a master carpenter. He knew how to take woodworking tools and carve beautiful images in slabs of wood. He knew how to design and build furniture. He knew how to price and sell and barter. He he participated in the business world, he participated in the spiritual life of Nazareth. The Bible says, as his custom was on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue. Amen. Aren't you glad that we have a Savior who was faithful in the house of God? Amen. And so Jesus participated in all of that that I just told you about, and yet there was not a sign anywhere going into Nazareth that said, Welcome to Nazareth the hometown of Jesus. Now, why? Because in all of those 30 years that Jesus lived there, he never performed a single miracle, not one. In all of those years at Nazareth, he never performed a miracle. But as soon as he left Nazareth and went out in other places and began his ministry, everywhere he went, he was performing miracles. He would tell the wind to stop blowing and it would stop blowing. He would tell the sea to settle down and it would become smooth. He would heal the sick. He could raise the dead. He touched the blind and made them see and touched the deaf and made them hear. Jesus was a miracle worker. And word spread about this man who's doing these unusual things. Well, the people at Nazareth, They got word back after Jesus left. Do you know that young man that grew up here? Everywhere he goes, everywhere he goes, he's performing miracles. The blind are seeing, the dead are living, the crippled are walking. He's a miracle worker. Well, why didn't he ever do that here? And then word got out. He's coming back. He's coming back home. He's coming back to Nazareth. And oh, there was quite a buzz. Oh, maybe, maybe we'll get to see him. Maybe we'll get to talk to him. Maybe, maybe we'll get to see a miracle. And so when the ruler of the synagogue hears that Jesus is coming back, he invites him to be the preacher on that given sabbath day the ruler of the synagogue it was his job to determine who would speak on any given sabbath day and so he invited jesus and jesus accepted and so the sabbath day came and i don't know how many folks normally went to sabbath day service in nazareth but on this sabbath day everybody showed up everybody came the place was jam-packed because they wanted to see him and they wanted to especially see a miracle. And so Jesus walks in, all the people are there, and the minister, the ruler of the synagogue gives Jesus a copy of the book of Isaiah. And Jesus is standing, and he opens the book of Isaiah to what you and I would call Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, and he read those two verses. And everybody in the house knew exactly what those two verses were about. Those two verses were written by Isaiah 700 years before Jesus was even born. Isaiah wrote those verses and talked about the coming Messiah, the Messiah that God was going to send. And everybody there knew that those two verses were about the Messiah. And so they knew that Jesus was going to teach that morning about the coming Messiah. Jesus closed the book, gave it back to the minister, and he sat down. Now, he wasn't being irreverent. That's just the way they did it in the synagogue service. They stood up to read, and they sat down to preach. The older I get, the more appealing that is to me. (laughs) Those two verses tell us that the Messiah is going to be a preacher. Isaiah said the Messiah is going to preach. He's going to preach the gospel to the poor and he's going to preach deliverance to the captive and he's going to preach recovering of sight to the blind and he's going to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The Messiah is a preacher, but also the Messiah is a healer. He's going to heal the brokenhearted. That word "broken heart" is a, is a heavy word. It's it, it's a picture of of people who've just who've just lost their joy. Something has happened. I had a person tell me this morning about their mother who went to church for so many years and then got her feelings hurt at church and never went back. Isn't it amazing that it is in the house of God where so many people get their feelings heard? Well, we not ever learn. It's not about us. It's about Him. Amen. But that there are many people today who are who are brokenhearted. They they've lost their what we used to call their spizorinkthem. They've they've lost their joy. They they they've just been wounded. Maybe they've gotten into some sin, but but their Christianity has no no spark to it anymore. It's just routine and casual and. Matter of fact, and if you're like, if you're like that here tonight, I have good news for you. The healer's in the house, Amen. and he'll heal the brokenhearted. But not only did Isaiah say the Messiah is going to be a preacher and a healer, he's going to be a liberator. He'll set at liberty them that are bruised. That word bruised is such a strong word. If you haven't learned it yet, you need to learn this lesson. Life is not fair. There are some people that go through life and everything they touch turns to gold and everything they ever whim for they get. But I tell you, there are some people that go through life and, and they never seem to get a break. Everything goes sour and they've just been crushed. If anybody has a loved one that has cancer, it's going to be them. If anybody loses their job, it's going to be them. There are some people who've just been beaten down and crushed by this world system. And if you're that way tonight, I have good news for you the liberators in the house, and he'll set you free from that bruisedness. Brother Bob, are you putting your reputation on the line? My soul, I don't even have one, but I'll put God's on the line. He said he would. If you'll come to him, if you're brokenhearted, he'll heal you of that. If you're bruised, he'll liberate you from that. He will, he will. And so Jesus sat down, and before he began to expound upon that text, The Bible says every eye was fastened on him. I wish I could tell you that every time I stand up to preach, every eye is fastened on me, but that'd be a lie. Some folks are looking at whatever they look at on telephones when I'm preaching. Some are looking around to see who's here and who's not here, what she got on, what's he wearing. Sometimes the young people are looking at another young person, look who she's sitting by Well last Sunday she's sitting by him. Look who she's sitting by today. Who does she think she is? Yeah. I mean, we preachers have to put up with all that junk all the time, you know. But the Bible said every eye was fastened on him. It is a picture of people sitting on the very edge of their seats can hardly wait to hear what he's going to say. And then Jesus makes an unmistakable declaration. And if you're a note taker, that's number one, all right? Three things we're going to see. An unmistakable declaration. In verse 21, Jesus said this day, is this scripture fulfilled in your ears? That scripture was about the Messiah, the Messiah who would be a preacher, the Messiah who would be a healer, the Messiah who would be a liberator, the Messiah that God was going to send. Jesus said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Jesus claimed unmistakably that he he is the Messiah. Amen. Now the liberals say, well, Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. But the problem with liberals is they just won't read the Bible. <laughs> Unmistakably, Jesus declared himself to be the Messiah. And the Bible says they begin to talk among them. Who is this guy? He is not this Joseph's son? Isn't this that young man that grew up in his father's carpentry shop? And you can just hear, one lady says, well, my soul, I I have a headboard in my bedroom. He carved it. Another says, well, I have a chair in my living room. He designed it. Another says, well, I have a table in my dining room. He built it. Is not this Joseph's son? But not only do we see an unmistakable declaration, secondly, I want you to notice undeniable revelation. Jesus reveals two things about everybody in the house. First of all, he revealed what they were thinking. In verse 23, he says, Now you will surely say unto me. How did he know what they were going to say before they said it? I'll tell you how. He's God. That's how. Uh, the devil can't read your mind. I, I preach a lot of conferences, and, and I love to hear preaching. I love to hear preaching, but, but you understand those of us who preach, we're in a position to display more ignorance than most people because we stand up and people come to hear us assuming we have something to say, and sometimes we don't have a lot to say. I was in a conference not long ago, and a young man preached before I did, and he was talking about how the how the devil can read your mind. And now, I don't ever get up after a preacher and say, well, that is the dumbest thing I ever heard. <laughs> I'm too nice to do that, but I think it Sometimes. The devil cannot read your mind. Now, he can read the way you react. That's right. Now You men will understand this. How many times have you ever gone home and you walked in the back door and you heard kitchen cabinets slamming and pots and pans being thrown around and you very sheepishly walk into the kitchen and say, honey, what's the matter? Nothing. <laughs> now, what do you know for sure? Something's the matter, you see? So the devil, he knows how to read the way we respond and react, but, but he cannot read your mind. But Jesus can. That's why the Bible says we're to bring every thought under the captivity of Christ. He reads. And so Jesus revealed what they were thinking. He said, you will surely say unto me this proverb, physician, heal thyself. Oh, what does that mean? Well, it means exactly what he said. It means that if you can do all this wonderful stuff everywhere else, why can't you do it here? If you can heal people elsewhere, why didn't you heal folks here? If you can raise people from the dead everywhere else, why don't you raise people from the dead here? We have dead people in Nazareth. We have, we have sick people, blind people, deaf people. We have people like that. We need miracles in Nazareth. And so Jesus revealed what they were thinking. And then he does something much more serious. He revealed what was in their hearts. And here's how he did it. First of all, he dared, I mean he dared to compare himself with Elijah and Elisha. If you read the Old Testament, you'll find there were hundreds and hundreds of Old Testament prophets. Most of them, we have no idea who they were or where they served or what they did, but the Bible makes it very plain. There were many, many prophets. We know a few of them by name only because they wrote books in the Bible like Hosea and Amos and Obadiah and Daniel Ezekiel, Jeremiah and Isaiah, but most of the prophets, we know nothing about them. But of all the prophets of Israel, the two Most loved and most honored and most revered were Elijah and Elisha. If Jesus had compared himself to Nahum and Obadiah, nobody would have cared. What are you going to do when you get to heaven and Nahum comes up to you and says, how'd you like my book? Go home and read it tonight and you'll be prepared. (laughs) And you probably won't like it, but read it anyway. But when Jesus dared to compare himself with Elijah and Elisha, in their minds, it was almost tantamount to blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And you could see the blood begin to rise up the sides of their neck. And then he dared to do something else. He's revealing what's in their heart. He dared to suggest that God loves Gentiles as much as he loves Jews. And here's how he did it. He said, do you remember when Elijah was the big boy prophet? Do you remember when Elijah was the prophet? There was a three and a half year drought. Not one drop of rain. And everything was dying. All the vegetation died. All the animals died. And hundreds and hundreds of people died. Even many, many Jewish widows fell dead of starvation. And God did not send Elijah to a single one, not one Jewish widow, not one. God only sent Elijah to one widow woman, a woman of Sarepta, the Old Testament version is Zarephath, A Gentile city to a Gentile woman. Elijah goes, knocks on her door. She says, may I help you? He says, yes, ma'am. I'm a man of God. I've come to live with you and your son, and I expect you to feed me every day while I'm here. And she said, well, sir, you must be out of your mind. We're in a drought. everybodys we don't have anything. I've got just enough oil and just enough meal to make one more little piece of bread. And I'm going to fix that. And my son and I are going to eat it. And then we're going to sit down and look at each other and just fall dead right here, staring at one another. He said, oh, that's not going to happen. He said, as long as I'm here, i tell you, it's not going to happen. Everybody else may be may, may be starving to death, but we're going to feast here in this house. And you know what? The Bible said every day, every morning, there was fresh oil and fresh meal. And it's just like Elijah said. God did not send Elijah to a single starving Jewish woman. He only sent him to one woman, and that was a with a woman who was a Gentile. And then Jesus said, do you remember, do you remember when Elisha was the big boy prophet? Oh, yeah. You remember when Elisha was the prophet, there came a plague of leprosy into Israel like Israel had never known in all of its history. It was the worst plague of leprosy ever known in the history of the world. And all over Israel, hundreds and thousands of young Jewish men were dying from that horrible, debilitating disease that eats you alive from the inside out. And God did not send Elisha To a single one, not one Jewish man who had leprosy. God only sent him to one man, a man named Naaman, who was a captain in the Syrian army. Jews then hated Syria. Jews today hate Syria. There is nothing new under the sun. And I tell you, the Bible says when they heard that, they were filled, filled with wrath. That blood that was running up their neck went up to the top of their head and blew the cork right off. I mean, now these were the same same people whose eyes were fastened on him and who were saying, it's not this Joseph's son. And now they're filled with wrath. They, they hate him. Now, do you think that morning as they were getting dressed and brushing their hair and doing whatever they did to their teeth, do you think that morning they were getting ready to go to the house of God and they thought in their heart they had all of that venom and vitriol and hatred and bigotry and wrath? No. No. A lot of our people come to church like that on Sunday morning thinking everything is all right, but if God ever gets in their heart, they'll get mad at the preacher. (laughs) And that's what happened. These folks were filled with wrath, and that brings me to the last thing. There was an unmistakable declaration. Jesus said, I'm the Messiah. There was undeniable revelation. He revealed what they were thinking. He revealed what was in their heart. But finally, I want you to see an unexplainable separation. The Bible says they, they thrust him out. That's such a strong word. It's a picture of men, big, strong, burly men, some on one side and some on the other. They grabbed him by the arms. They grabbed him under the waist. They grabbed him by the legs. They're not escorting him out. They're carrying him out. And they carry him outside of the synagogue, but that's not good enough. They carry him outside of the city limits, but that's not good enough. They carry him over to the edge of the cliff on which Nazareth is built, and they're ready to, the Bible says, to throw him down headlong, headfirst. They want to see those rocks rip his body apart and those boulders crush his head as it hits them. And there they are. They've got him, and they're going to, And the Bible says, and he, walking through the midst of them, Amen. went his way. Now, I want to ask you how that happen? You see that ring right there? After I graduated from college, after I graduated from seminary, I went back years later and worked six more years just to wear that ring. That ring says, I have an earned Ph.D. That's pronounced (laughs) (laughs) Ph.D. And I do have one. That ring lets you know I'm like an Airedale dog. I'm smarter than I look. And I'm telling you, I don't know how that happened. I mean, here were big husky men and they had him and they were ready to throw him off the cliff and kill him and an unexplainable separation. He just, and he doesn't run. He doesn't hide. He just walks through the midst of it. (laughs) And he went his way. I don't know how that happened, but I know why it happened. Jesus came to his hometown where he spent just about all of his life. He loved those people. They were not strangers to him. He knew them. He could call their name. He went to school with some of them. He worked with some of them. He went to the marketplace with them. He knew them. They were as dear to him as anybody on the earth. And he comes home and he says, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one Isaiah prophesied about. I'm him. Today, I'm revealing myself to you, my people. I'm the Messiah. He offered himself to them. Oh, that they would have welcomed him and received him and loved him and adored him, but they didn't. They rejected him. They hated him, and they sought to kill him The Bible says he went his way. And the great theologian John Gill reminds us Jesus never went back to Nazareth again. You see, beloved, you can say no to Jesus one time too many. In just a few moments, Brother Harold Hunter is going to come and preach. And I'm sure he will offer a time of invitation. And so I'm going to trust the Spirit of God if you're here tonight and you've never been saved. I gave you an opportunity at the beginning to come and get that fixed. But if you've never been saved, I plead with you. Don't say no to Jesus tonight. Maybe you've heard several evangelists through the years. Maybe you've heard Brother Glenn, your pastor. Maybe you've heard some of these other pastors time and time again. And you've said, not tonight, not this time, maybe later, but not now. Just remember, you can say no one time too many. And Jesus will go his way. Father, thank you for that hometown prophet who is the Messiah, our Savior, our Healer, our Liberator, and the greatest preacher ever known. And tonight we pledge anew our love for Him. In Jesus' name, amen.